Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Research VR podcast number three. Today, we're joined by Peter Lekoff, Christoph Izdebski, and guest starring Thomas Schuler, uh, another cognitive scientist researcher that is joining us for our podcast today. Hello, Thomas. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. So, today, we'll be... um, basically pretty much just covering the interesting science that we've been running across and doing research with. Uh, Thomas, can you kind of give us a good little background and a little intro about yourself and why you're interested in virtual reality? Uh, Sure. Um, So my background actually is not cognitive science, but it's uh, computer science. So I'm really a hacker. Um, And uh, my background lies in... uh, all kind of appliances, applications of computer science. So I'm really focused on making applications that people would use. Um, And I also did uh, a PhD in the past uh, five years uh, that was focused on virtual reality applications for therapy. So that was for motor therapy. I did a a research in uh, using that technology for uh, stroke rehabilitation. Um, and right now, since one year, um, right now I'm working for a company in Germany, and uh, there we focus on industrial applications of not only virtual reality but all kind of new technology. But virtual reality is something that we're just starting right now. Very cool. Um, so this therapy, you know, with stroke rehabilitation, we're using virtual reality or any kind of, uh, this, the tech that we're kind of been talking about recently for that, or what's, what's the focus, um, and how's the connection? Um, yeah. So when I started doing that, uh, these new kind of virtual reality glasses were not really out already. So, uh, I decided to use uh, more kind of a computer game, um, aspect and for, well, hardware side, uh, we used Kinect to record movements of patients, and we had a, a large, mm-hmm. large screen display where we then displayed uh, the contents of the game. And well, the focus was obviously on um, well aiding the rehabilitation process, so let people, let patients train harder or better by uh, observing what was shown on the screen. So from a computer science perspective, it was pretty much the same technologies that we uh, used that we would also use today to build virtual reality applications. But probably uh, today you wouldn't really call it virtual reality anymore because obviously we didn't show it on a on a uh, uh, Oculus glass or something like that. So, right. That's cool. Um, I mean, it's very relevant to what's been going on in the field nowadays with, uh, you know, you seeing your own self and you can do a good little uh, feedback loop with seeing yourself and doing the emotion, you're uh, doing motion, you know, in your own body. So actually that reminds me, have you seen Leap Motion actually is kind of been featuring that they've been used for, uh, again, rehab, muscular rehabilitation. Yeah. Oh, did they? Uh, yeah. Um, have you seen some of that? Yeah, no. actually, so... I just talked about my uh, application that I developed during my PhD, but uh, I was quite active in the whole field, and obviously there were uh, many different research groups, and some of them already invested in the in the kind of uh, early phases of uh, head-mounted displays already. So it was already common to use it also for rehabilitation. However, uh, before Oculus came out, it was still a little bit too cumbersome to to use this technology for uh, daily usage in a in a clinic, obviously. So uh, yeah, I've seen loads of application using uh, all different kinds of hardware technology, uh, from head-mounted displays uh, for the display, but also uh, of the recording side, people were using Leap Motion, uh, people were using Kinect, uh, people were using tracking technologies uh, like full room tracking technologies, or just equip any kind of um, uh, of uh, therapy instrument that is there in a the clinic with sensors and use that information to display feedback on a screen. So it's really a, a wide field and all kind of te- technologies are used there. However, I would still say this, this whole area of application is well still a bit academic and scientific. It's not really in the daily mm-hmm. application. And uh, what people, I think, expect also from this, uh, from this new hype about Oculus is that 
uh, tracking technologies and display technologies are going to be uh, yeah, less, less expensive and uh, more available and also easier to use. So we really all hope in this field that uh, by, by these new advances uh, that we have these technologies and these applications in daily usage maybe in clinics um, in, the co- in the coming years. So, Right. Well, it sounds like you're already using uh, the tech for great use cases, you know, for, for rehabilitation. Where do you see this going? I mean, where, what, what is your dream in, let's say, even a year or two with the tech that you're seeing? What would you, what would you like to be doing with it and the applications that you can see happening? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's one, one major thing is, that's actually true for all kind of Western uh, uh, societies, I would say. That means we are all aging. And that means that mm-hmm. these kind of diseases are being more common, and that puts really high uh, uh, risks for uh, that we can still actually afford that, right? We have these uh, social insurance uh, um, uh, companies that are really already on their limits, and we really want to provide a high-quality uh, therapy also for a growing number of patients, right? So what we obviously have to do is <clears throat> making the uh, therapies cheaper, and one way that you can do that is by uh, assigning part of the therapy to the patient using a computer at home, right? So you would have less right. persons, less uh, therapists uh, that you need for it. So that's that's really one use case that we really try to to get part of the therapy um, kind of as homework, as you would say. Um, mm-hmm. That's one thing. Another really good uh, uh, use case that, that we also want to have the technology for is recording the data, right? So this whole area of application therapy and rehabilitation is something that uh, one person, one therapist does more by his own personal judgment. And it's not really something that is kind of statistically based, right? So uh, there's there's this evidence-based therapy that comes out only recently. It's not really something that you see in the everyday uh, life. So by using this recorded uh, data, we could have a, a huge database that, that can be uh, right. investigated for better therapies, uh, faster rehabilitation processes. So something like that is also obviously something that we really look forward to. Absolutely. Big data and anal- analytics mm-hmm. of that data to kind of see trends within the general population. Right. Yeah, what for example Apple is doing, right? Yeah. Right. Sorry. Uh, I mean, that's, Apple that's has maybe, this Apple Health Kit, right? We would, I think the, the, the general. Right, the same problem. No, we, we call this I area of virtual that, rehabilitation. I was very excited when right? they. So, and virtual rehabilitation people would always kind of set themselves aside from what is Apple and and uh, maybe Xbox game is doing with the Kinect because those are not really targeted to um, aid some very specific rehabilitation process, but they are more or less targeted, we call that exer games, right? That's making exercise through games. That's also very great, uh, but it's not really something that you could use in the, in the real therapy process where you want to target one specific movement that has to become better or one specific disease. So in these areas, the, the application uh, is, has to be more specific than this um, uh, kind of common exer game that you see. That you see. Hmm. I have a question. Um, by the way, feel free to chime in, guys. It's not just me interviewing Thomas at all. And you guys have all have your own questions and ideas that we can be talking with with him. It's not just me interrogating him. <laughs> we're 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 trying to facilitate a good discussion. Um, let let me let me just technology. add one more thing. Since we are also uh, targeting a U.S. Yep. American uh, audience. Um, one thing that especially the U.S. American research groups were always very um, very yeah, fond of this technology is also that you could do remote ter- therapy, right? I mean, that's not really something that, that is yes. a big problem in Germany since we are really kind of close together. We don't really have these really remote areas or rural, rural areas. Um, but uh, in the U.S. it's wholly different, right? Sometimes you would just simply don't have access to some therapist in your neighborhood. So... That means doing remote therapy could be something that that you also reach these people that that live in rural areas. That's, I mean, that's really going to be changing a lot of things. And one of the big uh, steps that I've been seeing ha- happening in the 
health tech industry is now you can Skype with your doctor. Yeah. Um, there's mm-hmm. even their own applications and uh, and their own things that you can play around with. But yes, we're finally health tech is actually going digital, uh, finally making that jump. And so this mm-hmm. is one great arm and leg in that direction. Well, sometimes um, it's a little bit bizarre. Like sometimes, I mean, when you break your arm in the night in the US and you go to a hospital, you have good chances. Then when you get your arm x-rayed, uh, x-ray is actually being sent to India because there's day <laughs> during night and the US and there, the doctors analyze it and then send the result back to US. That's, That's really interesting. I never heard about that, actually. Yeah, there are uh, huge, like outsourcing. Outsourcing. Yeah, huge outsourcing businesses, <laughs> especially during nights where you, you know, it's expensive to have right. doctors there. Well, now, I mean, uh, IBM's um, IBM's Watson is being used to diagnose different diseases yes. I mean, because that's a great way of approaching that kind of a topic is because you just, you know, it, uh, what an AI does, it's, it sees trends and things. So if you give it as much input and as much symptoms, it can see based on what previous di- mm. diagnosis that it's done, uh, what you might have. And it'll give you like a list of uh, the disease that you think it, that it thinks it is with confidence levels mm. and that's a lot better than just a diagnostician like a doctor at least an um, average doctor can support your right, decision, right? um you right. mentioned this great video or this great post from deep motion maybe i just looked at it and maybe thomas can also open it we can maybe comment it because i think it's very interesting what the audience will see after they click on the link is that the person is basically interacting with its hand with this leap motion so a hand tracking device and you perform certain movements with one finger or the whole hand, you have to spread it. So how would you, Thomas, see this being useful in therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, one really huge use case in stroke therapy is the finger, finger movements. That's always what comes last in therapy. Like you would always have the, the more proximal movements earlier back, but, but really tiny finger movements is very difficult for many stroke patients. That's obviously a huge use case. And uh, I think... I would always call it one of the really first applications of virtual rehabilitation was actually finger therapy after stroke. Um, and they used a much more cumbersome device, uh, some kind of uh, hand glove. Um, and mm. also the, the display was not as nice as the one I, I see uh, in this video. Um, but it could very well be uh, some, some kind of new application that came out from this, from this research group. I might look that up, actually. Right. Interesting. The video, the video that we're linking is actually very interesting. It's essentially um, the what the what the company is doing. What, what are they called? Uh, they're what they're selling is the kind of a mount for your forearm to sit on, and you, in front of the mount, you put a leap motion. Mm-hmm. And so it's called virtual rehab, or vir, yeah, virtual rehab, and. Um, basically, they're using gamification and, and for rehabilitation of your fingers, especially. So you said for stroke peri- patients, finger rehabilitation is usually the last thing. And it's probably not a very good thing because your fingers are probably one of the most important things about your body. Um, and say even the, the issue that we have now with rehabilitation is even if you go to physical therapy and they give you this homework to do. I think I saw statistics on this. It was like the major, the grand majority majority of people don't do the mm. right homework as in the you know the exercises that you're supposed to do and that's only detri- detrimental to them so if you give them something like this where it's more of using the gamification of rehabilitation which kind of really you know it uh, goes into your dopamine and reward systems and mm. just plays on that i mean it's a good approach Definitely. that you can take for rehabilitation um, exactly. i want to bring in a nice example so um we will talk maybe about it later when we have time chris and me have been uh, in Hamburg at uh, Klinikum yeah. University, where we gave a talk about virtual reality, and those were basically, you know, people who do science and also applied medicine. And there was a very interesting person. He was a pilot in the Bundeswehr, so the army, and then he decided, he, okay, you know, does therapy, so he studied psychology. And he told me that in a certain way, when you have some problems psychologically in your life, and you need you don't can't handle your life anymore. Then you have to not be brought to the hospital. Then they train you with very boring computer programs. So you have to perform everything, and patients really hate it. So he just bought himself a board game that is like similar, where you have to perform all the same steps, just way more fun. And the patients, you know, they perform better, and it's also more fun for them. So he just lets them, you know, 
plays his board game for a few hours and then one training session with a computer and then he's okay, yeah, you're good. So you just <laughs> see clearly that the patient can benefit from something that looks more silly but is you know more engaging, right? And in a Absolutely. certain way, that's the same as VR, right? I mean, how many people, you know, smash their screen with a Wii because it's engaging? <laughs> Extended, yeah. not on purpose. Right? Uh, definitely. What the, the problem that you just mentioned, that people actually don't really do their homework, so that, that was one of also one of the major drivers behind this. So it, it came not really from the from the. Uh, uh, from the uh, computer science guys that that know what to do with computer science, but more it was more driven this whole field by uh, the clinicians, by the researchers themselves, seeing that they were really in need for something that could help them making the therapy more interesting, uh, making it uh, also available at home, uh, helping people at home to to show them what they actually have to do to to again explain what the what the right movements are, and that all using technology. Mm. So it was really driven by the by the uh, clinicians uh, this whole area. Uh, so they really saw a dire need for something like that. So, mm. Mm. from what I've seen with one of the earlier kind of uh, drives in virtual reality research was actually done for medical therapy. Or I, I've actually I'm what I remember reading a lot about was chemotherapy patients mm -hmm. and uh, not not to aid the, the 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 therapy itself which I mean you don't really I don't from my understanding you don't really do much in a chemotherapy mm -hmm. um, right you just sit there and you kind exactly. of are plugged in but I mean obviously it's a really terrible place to be in your mm -hmm. life uh, with with cancer and you're sitting there losing your hair so what what they were doing actually was looking at time perception and how it defers whenever you you give the patients a virtual reality headset and they're in a different environment or they're playing a game or something. And it, I think it was shown that like basically they underestimated the time spent in the chemotherapy mm -hmm. uh, cl clinic than they actually thought. So uh, I'm not sure what the margin or the, what the range was, but it's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's very interesting to using these technologies to help, um, to help basically medicine and to help people uh, get themselves out of worse situations and to feel that because everything is based on your perception, right? Of your perception of where you are, or how, what you're doing, or how long you're doing it for. So if you can play with those systems, um, you can you know better the person and better their body. Yeah. yeah, and here I have actually a question to Thomas. Um, like we spoke, I think, the first episode once about uh, pain relief from VR, and here we speak about time mm -hmm. perception and also what you did in your research was rehabilitation. So what uh, maybe there are other use cases that you see, can imagine, that can be used in a therapeutic way? Mm -hmm. Like how can be VR used in medical application? Other than that? So we would have um, maybe three major uh, different areas in here. So that one would be motor rehabilitation. So that's really physical uh, training that, that should be aided by it. Another sometimes overlapping area is cognitive rehabilitation. But something like stroke, for example, has parts of both, right? It's, it, is, it is part of motor rehabilitation, so you really have to do exercises. But it's also part of cognitive rehabilitation that maybe your, your speech is less or your, your seeing is, is less good than before. So there's all kind of, of different aspects kind of overlapping in here. And then, then there's a whole different area of application that's like psychological therapy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is actually maybe the most advanced area of application. So, for example, you have trauma therapy. One, one huge application area is um, uh, for soldiers with PTSD. So uh, they call it exposure therapy. People would basically yes. play some kind of ego shooter-like video game. But what's happening in the game is controlled by a, by a, a physician. So it would be uh, really controlled by by a therapist, and uh, this way the the soldiers with this traumatic uh, disorder would be placed in the situation back in the situation that they um, had to go through during during war. So that that is really something that is ap applied already today. Um, mm -hmm. Another area that I, that is also uh, interesting is is all kind of pain reliefs. So. Uh, you might have chronic pain, and the uh, problem here is, of course, uh, you have pain, you feel pain while you're doing movements, and because you feel this pain, you don't move, and because you don't move, you feel more pain, right? That's some kind of a really um, uh, <laughs> a bad situation that you want to, to break some way. 
So today it would usually be be uh, done by um, uh, by yeah, how do you say that by drugs or, or med- med- medicine that you that you take uh, like pain relievers. Yeah. Uh, but certainly you don't want to to uh, have those too much because uh, it's also something that that you can get addicted to. So you want to have mm. not too much of that in there. And one very obvious use case is using virtual reality and the, this immersion and presence feeling in virtual reality to use it to distract people from pain. As simple mm-hmm. as it is, uh, you could have kind of any kind of uh, um, application, any kind of environment, any kind of game could already apply for that, right? Because it, it really takes you apart from where you are actually right now. And if you then perform movements while you are present and immersed in a different environment, in a different reality, it could help to feel less pain, right? So very obvious use case and something that um, we also, uh, with our company, Salt and Pepper in Osnabrück right now, uh, start a project in. So we, we have kind of a research project, a, a joint research project with uh, three other partners uh, that we team up with to uh, produce something, uh, some virtual reality for pain uh, therapy. Um, and uh, well, there's a clinic, there's another research um, um, department of, of a company from Holland and another development company from Holland. And there's also one more company to it that steers everything and, and tries to put some, some good business case behind it. Uh, and we're doing that for the coming two years, developing uh, an application in, in real close contact also to clinical daily life uh, usage. And we really, it's, it's only starting right now, so I can't really uh, tell you much about it, but the, uh, uh, we, we aim for developing uh, a game, let's say, for chronic uh, patients of the upper limb and uh, help them feel less pain during their therapy. That's amazing, but um, let's yeah, say it's fantastic. the process in medicine, I mean, how you, how you build devices that need to undergo testing and, I mean, also applications and therapies that need to be certified. Um, how would you view uh, the time it needs for a company or, let's say, how long does it take to a new technology in general can be adopted, you know, evaluated, tested on humans, accepted by all the insurance companies and whatsoever? Yeah, that's a, a, a hot topic that you are referring to, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm referring also, to it. <laughs> well, especially, I don't know, I, I can't really speak for other com- countries, but I know that the systems in, in Germany are pretty restricted. I know also in the US you have, you have to go through, um, I think it's called FDA, some kind of approval that you need for, for uh, medical instruments that you could, could use them then in daily application. Um, there are a couple of ways that you can do that. Either if you really aim to have it as part of a prescribed therapy, you would really have to go through a whole lot of um, of testing and use the tests again and then uh, getting it uh, uh, approved by, by some, some external company. Um, but the other way that you could also go through is more um, having it as, as an, I, I would call it an, a joint therapy, something that you just kind of... Um, you don't really have to do it. You could do your therapy without it, but it would help you, right? So it would it would just aid the process, uh, right? And, and this way, uh, you're not in, a, in such a strict uh, environment where you would have to prove how much um, how much gain you get from that therapy in a, let's say a couple of of, uh, of application, like a couple of days or something. Um, so we, as, as a company, it, it's much easier, of course, to aim for the latter and have something just, that you could just use adjoint to your mm-hmm. regular therapy that is prescribed. And by having uh, some of those applications out there, I think the process of doing that then properly for, uh, for a medical device uh, could be eased because people are, are getting more used to it and, and see the benefit a little bit more. So we, we as a company, as developers, learn what is crucial in this area. And, and therefore, we would say uh, have it easier also to, to convince people that it's something that, that should be prescribed, actually. 
it's very interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's it's good that you guys are using things like Microsoft Connect and not like a full on proprietary system that you're building. Mm. Because Connect, I mean, how much does the Connect cost? Two hundred bucks. Two hundred dollars, exactly. The leap motion is a hundred dollars. Like these are being these are devices made for the mass public for you know for a lot of different things, and now they're actually being used for medical uh, applications. A lot of the times what's what's happened with uh, medical devices in the past is that they are just specifically made for that medical application. So they build very few units and those few units cost a lot. And I mean, obviously you don't reach, you don't have as big of a market uh, reach even to patients that are in need because say either they can't cover it or their insurance will cover it, but then they will start paying them, charging them more. I mean, that you run into a lot of issues with medical um, therapy. But it sounds what you it sounds like what you guys are doing is a very uh, humanitarian kind of a <laughs> an effort. Well, uh, so you can combine, that. you know, good ethics and good business. But I think also the Absolutely. benefits when you have companies involved that say salt and pepper with such, such research, the stance is a little bit different than in general research at universities. So you have great researchers at universities. It's very amazing what people do. But usually, in my at least perception. This last step from actually, okay, we have an effect to, you know, create a product, despite whether you want to earn money on it or not, but actually create something that people will, you know, download from the App Store or download from the Oculus Store and actually try at home. This is usually just not done because it's either not, you know, very easy yeah. or not interesting for them or it's not beneficial to them at all. So. Yeah, we, yeah, we have seen so many advanced research, research prototypes, yes. but the step from, from a research prototype that has been developed at university to something that is uh, in daily application where, where you also have some kind of basic support at least where people could maybe call some hotline and, and get information about, well, how do I actually use it? That's a whole different level, right? That's not something that a university could really, uh, um, how do you say that, could really uh, afford to accomplish, do, right? You, yeah, yeah, they can't accomplish it, right? So the, um, I think you, you see more and more research groups in this area uh, having the same idea that you actually need to move forward to um, spin off some uh, company that is then able to do this application that they did their research before uh, in daily application. But it's still something that, that people are struggling with. I, 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 I think there, there's not much that is already there in daily application to a reason that it's really difficult um, to provide the service that is also necessary. Mm. Right? Sure. Um, so yeah. um, I wanted to ask, so we kind of talked about this, uh, or you, you briefly kind of glanced over it, was <clears throat> using virtual reality for some kind of a pain management thing. Uh, in previous podcasts, Peter has mentioned this one research done for burn patients yes. with, uh, so the burn patient obviously feels very, uh, <laughs> you're feeling the pain from the burn, and so if you put them in a cold environment, you can start to associate mm -hmm. that feeling with, you know, being chilled or cold, which is, I think, a lot better than, than burn. Um, so that's like a, obviously a really cool application, but I'm having trouble trying to think of a use case for like how do you get rid of like joint pain that you're saying with uh, putting them in using presence and a different virtual environment to be in. Uh, can we I mean, can we kind of discuss ideas that we have or what we what are things that have actually been done before? I've actually um, seen in Italy on the Eurovr conference an example where they had I think. Mm, elderly people that had to perform a certain movement with a hand for training and they built this device for that but it wasn't rich reality with the goggles mm -hmm. and whenever they did it there was a smiley giving them you know feedback you did it great and whenever they did it bad they didn't get it positive feedback so I mean <laughs> as similar as with the pain from a burned patient I guess you can just shift your attention away from the pain from your joints towards mm -hmm. I have to perform now the movement <coughs> Yeah, right. yeah, like that's that's distraction, and I think that is something that that is already very easily achieved by virtual reality. One more, um, yeah, like say neurological uh, perspective to it. Um, I'm not quite sure if I can put that across properly because I'm not a neuroscientist. But uh, from from what I understand about uh, yeah neurologic issues that that cause pain 
is that the pain is, or maybe the, the, the reason for the pain, the trigger for the pain has long passed. And it's now in a chronic, uh, in a chronic phase where, where the actual mm. trigger for the pain is not anymore present. But it's more a, a learned pain that you have in your brain, right? Mm. So some some psychosomatic, yeah, right. And and right. it's it is something that your 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 brain uh, got used to. Um, you also have these, for example, with phantom limb pain um, that is kind of similar. It's not really a learned pain, but it's still something that is your your brain got used to to that limb, right? And it was taken away, and and your brain has to has to accommodate to that, and that takes a while. And during that process, uh, well, you feel pain. Um, and one way that you could use uh, virtual reality is to trick the brain into feeling that actually everything was just before that incident happened, right? So you mm-hmm. could you could make an environment where you kind of pr- provide the illusion of, for example, to a to an amputee, uh, provide the illusion that the arm is still mm-hmm. there, that you can that you can still operate it, right, and that you are that you have control over it. And during that process, you could uh, aid uh, the the brain in adapting to this new uh, to this new situation, right? Like kind of slowly uh, making making clear uh, that uh, that it is that there is a new um, a body image that you have to accommodate to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know there's research done with uh, leg amputees where if if they stand up in front of a mirror and they put the amputee and they're looking at mm-hmm. looking at themselves, they can start to associate that exactly. you know the the prosthetic mm-hmm. leg as them just by looking at themselves. Uh, and then you can take that one step further and start to like use a feather and you start you know running it over the uh, the the prosthetic leg and you feel you almost start to feel that. And so what if you have phantom limb um, pain and you go in a VR environment, you look down at your you know let's say your your arm was broken off and you only have up to your elbow is what you have. And so after, past that you actually have a fake. Um, or you basically have a you know computer generated arm when you look down, and so someone is massaging that arm. You know, do you could you do you think that could go into helping the phantom limb pain itself, or maybe do you think you'll that'll actually make you think that you have more of a an arm, and then when you and what are the after effects of that? You know, do you take off the headset after that, and what do you feel? Are you supposed to feel more um, like you have an arm or less that you have an arm? I don't Good understand. Question. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there is actually loads of research towards this, um, and especially also from that group. Actually, there was uh, the the uh, the researchers called uh, Ramachandran. That's I think how. Yes, yes, Ramachandran. Yeah. Uh, and he he invented this uh, whole idea with the mirror therapy, where you just place a mirror, and obviously one very uh, good part of it is that you actually only need a mirror. That's that's even more available than any connect that you can buy. So um, oh, yes. it has it has its pluses. However, it also has its minuses. And that's, uh, uh, of course, in the mirror, you can only see what's what's there in the real life on the other side. And you can't really control exactly what the stimuli are that, that the patient sees, right? In the virtual reality, you have much more control over what the patient sees. And there are already uh, many researches that has been done to, to kind of, uh, how do you say that, uh, port this mirror therapy idea into virtual reality applications. And obviously showing... Uh, a virtual arm is one way that you can do it, and it has been shown and proven that it produces kind of similar effect. Uh, however, um, mm. obviously, this presence experience is something that is really important for this kind of therapy, right? You really have to feel that what you see is your arm. Mm. And uh, one one uh, hypothesis of my research was actually maybe we shouldn't try to show an actual arm because that actual arm would always be pre-designed and therefore not look exactly like the arm that the patient has. Mm-hmm. So it would always be a bit different, right? And this this tiny little bit could cause breaks in presence and therefore the whole illusion is gone, right? So my idea was maybe we could use uh, artificial effects, artificial visual effects, something like really abstract ways, um, and then train the patients into learning how these artificial effects react to their movements. And then we could have a maybe, that's still a hypothesis, maybe have a stronger illusion because, well, you really learned how the system reacts to your movement. So you only expect mm. what the system can do, right? And uh, in, the, in, the, in the other use case where you try to kind of replicate reality, you would always have a tiny difference to, to actual reality. And that tiny difference can really cause 
breaks in presence. So that was an idea. Uh, what artificial effects um, I mean, are you referring to? I mean, what I'm trying to visualize what would be different in terms of just re- trying to recreate an, 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 a realistic-looking arm on yourself uh, versus, I mean, are you saying more of a cyber kind of yeah. or a robotic arm, mm, something like that? No, maybe not or, even an arm. So uh, I refer now mm-hmm. to my research, which, which I said was about stroke patients. However, this mirror, mirror mm-hmm. therapy that we are just now talking about is used in both uh, areas. So it's, it's used for, for pain uh, rehabilitation. It's also used for stroke rehabilitation. So it's kind of the same. And it, what, what I used was, um, you know, these visuals that you see uh, playing to music, if you, for example, use a Windows Media Player or, or your QuickTime Player or something. Okay, um, yeah, and the these, music visualizers. Right. Yeah. So my idea was maybe we could use these types of visualizations that have some kind of um, uh, symmetric uh, appearance. So you see what what is on the left side is always mirroring what is on the right side because of co- of course obviously you need to need to have this mirror effect, right? Otherwise the whole idea would not work. Um, mm-hmm. And then use these types of visualizations also uh, driven by music, but then also driven by movement, right? So you have kind of this mixture of visual experience, um, music towards it, and then movement that that gives you a whole. Um, interesting appear, uh, experience that also animates the patient uh, to to work and to to uh, to train harder right so the- so you're saying the entire environment is kind of responding to your movement right. in a way that you're you're almost con- um you're really controlling the mu- the the you know the visualizations and the music visualizations around you by your movement exactly yeah Man, that could feel very powerful. Actually, that sounds that sounds like you would actually feel super powerful in that kind of an environment, and that could go even beyond into like emotional therapy. And you know, someone uh, who feels, you know, let's say, a victim of abuse, or I don't know, I'm just really extrapolating here, but like it's you giving giving a, a person power in an environment like that could feel. I know I could see a great potential therapy use cases for that. Yeah. I, I, um, there was also the uh, um, the feedback that we got from patients that we tried the system with. Um, uh, I, I don't want to exaggerate that, but they uh, uh, they said, "Well, in this therapy, I'm actually achieving something. Right? It looks nice what I'm doing. The screen, everything looks really nice, and I have the impression that I'm that I'm able to do something. That I'm able to perform in this therapy." And they said sometimes in in, in the in the common therapies uh, that that we are doing, uh, it's it's always more more um, well. They they always see their um, how do you say it their uh, their problems and what they can't achieve, right? And in, in this type of of or the whole idea of virtual reality applications could be that you kind of more empower the people that they can actually perform and that they are able to do stuff, right? So. Mm. Um, now, uh, when we speak about what your patients have actually told you, I mean, your study is also published in a book by Hello? Springer. And can you maybe talk a little bit more about the results you got out of the study? Like, not only the feedback from the patients, but also what was the gen- general conclusion? Um, sorry, the, the audio connection was broken down. So, could you rephrase your question? Oh, sure. Um, la, your study is also published as a book, right? Yeah. And maybe you could uh, talk a little bit more about um, the results or the conclusions that uh, you and your colleagues uh, have mm-hmm. concluded out of the study. So we have been just talking about the patients actually you now giving you a really nice feedback. So was there any other things happening? Yeah, that that was what, why I said that I wouldn't uh, exaggerate that. Um, like my my research was focused on the computer science side, right? So I was mm-hmm. I was doing a proof of concept study, and that wouldn't really uh, be sufficient to to put out some some uh, uh, conclusions uh, for the actual use of that. Um, so, but I, I would refer then to to other studies that has been done, and that showed a, a significant effect of virtual reality applications over um, over uh, common therapies. Uh, mm-hmm. So, well, referring to my study, I wouldn't conclude anything, but uh, the hypothesis is something that is supported and that that we should investigate further in, right? But I, I wouldn't sh- I wouldn't conclude any actual uh, use for a patient from that. 
But if we yeah. uh, look for other, especially NITA studies that has, like reviews that has been done, uh, there they show a significant uh, effect of applying virtual reality to patients, for example, stroke patients. Uh, there was one study, I think, coming out 2012 uh, that put that forward. However, they also put forward their limitations, and that is actually the different applications that they uh, investigated are so different from each other that you can't actually compare the results very much to each other. So we are still waiting for that um, for that really uh, big um, uh, controlled trial that tries a couple of different applications and tries to figure out more deeply what are the exact properties of a virtual reality that help patients and how much should they train with it and uh, well how how should it be designed? So so these. Um, these things are still open for investigation, I would say. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting indeed. Where where do you guys want this technology to be? I mean, what's one use case that we're not really thinking about? And I'm trying to kind of put ideas out there more for people to start thinking with. I mean, even, even if it's not just if, – even if you're not a researcher yourself, but like you want to ex- – you're a developer and, and you're very interested in virtual reality. Um, what's one way we can think about that you can really help someone, let's say, train themselves to do something? Because um, I, I think that this podcast could be like uh, a good discussion that we we have here is, is just applying these research findings that we have into re- real use case and design applications. Um, well, I, I would put forward one one related but absolutely not similar area of application, and that is if we speak about learning, and that is motor learning in therapy is nothing else than just simply learning. Uh, you could, of course, have have learning as an application for virtual reality in all different. Uh, uh, areas, right? So, for example, since we were salt and pepper focusing actually not so much uh, on the medical application, this is one part that we do, but much more we are focusing on the industrial applications. Uh, certainly, there you have uh, training of, uh, for example, uh, assembly workers. So, uh, let them train on uh, virtual prototypes of uh, new products, of new machinery. Uh, let them train the processes that they have to do in actual manufacturing later on. Let them train this with virtual objects, for example. For example. Right. Uh, I know they're doing even medical training at the moment. Uh, I'm, and I'm trying to envision exactly what how they're doing that. And the only thing I can think about is you know having almost a first person perspective of like a uh, an, a real operation being done, mm-hmm. and it kind of feels like you're sitting there. You know, you're looking over the body itself and looking at what they're doing and trying to replicate it with the hands. Do you guys know much more? Yeah. About so that? when you actually speak about let's say surgery and you put those super complex cameras in the body to to not invasive operation. The one certain issue that um, came up recently is that I uh, came up most likely also uh, longer, but that the doctors uh, viewing through these cameras, I mean, their movement in the body of the patient with the tools is not particularly binded to the lenses of the cameras. So that means that you have to do some correction for that. So, I mean, when the it's very hard to imagine where your tools in the body are right now. So. What you could, for example, do, and I think it's also done, is you have some representation of the body in a certain environment. In the VR on some screen, let's say, for now, but maybe later it will be some VR header, where you actually see the position of the tools, because otherwise it's not very trivial to actually see what's happening there. Or recently Google was tweeting about uh, some child who was saved by Google Cardboard. Yeah, I saw the headline. Yeah, the idea was that they think scanned some dangerous part of the body and displays it in 3D so the doctor could actually see it without invasion and treats the patient better. I think that's important. And um, what you also have are robots uh, setups that have mm-hmm. those tools that you would use in a real person when you actually cut with those tools inside this, vir- like it looks like a body, but it's like a virtual body, obviously. You cut with the tools inside, you also feel the pressure like it would be tissue. So you can actually feel it uh, in a similar way. So you not only can uh, simulate um, uh, the video and what you see in the body, but also the force feedback. So systems are expensive, but for doctors, I think they're worth trying. 
Right. Uh, I think having that, let's say you're mentioning about you know little cameras and whatnot going into a non-invasive surgery, mm-hmm. or just had your tools going in. I'm I'm trying to compare how different it would be from seeing it on a, just a screen versus a 3D headset. Uh, I think you know you're missing that huge that third axis, you know the Z depth that because you're not just putting in those. Um, we put it in the tools in a, like a flat plane. This is a, a body, which is a third dimensional mm-hmm. object. So, so you kind of do need to understand where it's going down and you can understand depth and you can understand where each other, uh, which tool is overlapping what just, you know, through ocular occlusion or something. But, um, that's, that's cool. I, I mean, I can see a lot going into, uh, medical applications and, uh, one of the biggest questions I always get from people is, you know, so what what else, what else can you use VR for other than gaming? And no, a lot. You know, this is, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, this is basically what um, we have been preaching since you know months, and I guess it's also something that uh, Soft and Pepper Software Solutions, where Thomas and I are employed, also believes in. I mean, sure, you can do nice entertainment, but in the end, what we really want to see are use cases where you help people to train for. Uh, some kind of construction work or you uh, to help them to maybe steer a drone in VR or other things, functional things where you actually get a benefit out of it. Right. Uh, let's yeah? let's let's discuss guys. Let's throw out ideas for good use cases of VR. And it doesn't have to be with rehab or marketing. Medical. Obviously those are great. Marketing. That's that's one. Yes. Um and how, how could you apply marketing for VR? You can let your uh, customer experience, let's say, the car that he wants to buy in different colors. He's sitting in VR and he can change the color of the car and see himself sitting inside. And not even just the customization part, but to actually see or feel what it would be like to be in that environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, it's funny because that actually exists at the moment. And I've tried it out, and it's called VR Showroom. Nice. Uh, they were at an SVVR a couple of months ago, and it's basically you walk or you you're in an HTC Vive setup and you walk around the car to this Tesla and you're customizing the color or whatever. But the more interesting thing about it was that I opened the trunk and I'm like looking inside. I tried <laughs> to put my hand on the back bumper, but I fell through. I was like, huh. And then I went to go open the door. I you know, opened the door of the car and I stepped around the door. Nice. Put my, I leaned down and I put my head inside. And then oh. just that motion itself is very, uh, it's going to look exactly like that when you're doing it in real life. So you're getting the initial impressions of what you could be, uh, what what it would be like to do those motions or to what the visuals are going to look like whenever you're doing that with a real car mm-hmm. that you don't get with just customizing. Exactly. Um, they have a similar. Another they have case. actually a similar setup with uh, a Leap Motion and uh, Oculus Rift. Maybe Thomas can speak more about it. Um, yes, so we have done one that was a, also demonstration prototype that we used for uh, for a fair that's about uh, space technology. So it was a, for with together with a company uh, who manufacture parts of satellites, uh, and obviously, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, building a satellite is not something that you do kind of in series and and uh, therefore you would really like to plan the whole manufacturing ahead therefore uh, you need to to know whether all steps of um, of assembly are actually uh, uh, can actually be done um, so they they had issues uh, in one project that uh, the the assembly workers could actually not reach parts of the satellite where they had to apply uh, well, other other parts of the satellite, right? So during the man- manufacturing, they they had to kind of cope with this problem. But if you have uh, a fully virtual designed uh, like CAD uh, designed satellite mm-hmm. beforehand, you could visualize that mm-hmm. and then try to go through all the steps of manufacturing and and check whether you could uh, reach all parts of the satellite that you have to work on, right? So that was the whole idea of the of the prototype that we did. Uh, we use Connect and Leap Motion uh, in order to uh, to visualize uh, the um, the movements of of the worker, and then you could see right. uh, there was one part in the satellite that you sh- should should be able to reach, and then you could try to reach it, but but at the same time you shouldn't uh, touch other parts of the satellite with your body. Um, 
That was quite difficult actually to reach, but uh, it, it did it did work out and and was a, was quite a huge success also on that um, on that fair. So we hope to 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 go on with this right. project. Right. You know that's a great. I didn't even think about that. Where you actually when you're making the design for whatever application, like a satellite, take it from a satellite and put it into a car. Right. You're creating the uh, what's going to be the engine and every and every component around it. As you're still designing it in CAD, you actually can step into to uh, a person's body or you know just virtually and then see can I actually reach these components around the engine or that around the thing so as you're developing it you're actually testing it out is that I mean is that am I getting the idea cr- yeah. across correct yeah, exactly okay that's that's that what it's about and um, yeah you have different areas of application you could also plan um, assembly lines for example uh, there was a, a request. We dis- we discuss all these different applications with our customers, and uh, since we do have uh, some customers from the automotive industry area, um, they they said to us, "What would also be really nice is to to plan ahead the assembly process on an assembly line, right? So uh, you have a couple of minutes at each station, and you want to um, to optimize that process so that you don't have." Uh, yeah, that that the that the line never stands still, right? So uh, obviously, if you if you put in some some new uh, some new model, uh, you you have to readjust your assembly line, and uh, you could test that uh, on virtual objects already beforehand. That's exactly what what we what we aim with it. Right. Man, I think every day, every week that I keep thinking about this technology, like another use case just keeps coming to mind. And I love talking to you know people like you guys where, uh, I mean, it's, it sounds like you're already applying these ideas into real uh, industrial applications and c- companies are already interested in using this tech. I mean, VR is, is such an open, wide field and people don't really understand uh, what the hell to do with it? I mean, even us that we have been thinking about this for such a long time, we're still dumbfounded every time mm. we see a really cool use case application. That's uh, for sure. Yeah, the one really was. I was talking to uh, a colleague of mine, and we're discussing telepresence robots. And no. um, I mean, right now in Palo Alto, when you go, <laughs> if you go to downtown to Palo Alto, actually, there's there's one store completely just dedicated to telepresence robots and it's funny because no one actually works there except for people Seriously? that are here, that are that are in these telepresence robots yes Whoa. so you you're walking on the street there's there's three or four of these um and I, I wish i can remember what the brand is maybe rovers or i might be i don't 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 quote me on that but i'm sure we'll link it in the show notes mm-hmm. but there there's these um <clears throat> it looks like a very small segue you know those little hoverboards that everybody is <laughs> writing now except there's a tall kind of body that goes up and then there's a big screen on top and in the screen there's a person sitting like uh, looking at a webcam and so there's there's three or four of those just standing outside the at the the store and as you're walking on the sidewalk they literally roll up these brave roll up to you and they say hello they're like hi how are you i'm like whoa that's, mm-hmm. that's the person they're like yes they, they're like do you want me to show you around the store i'm like okay ah, so they're like, follow me and they turn great around usage and you, that actually. dude and you they you know they walk with you they they roll with you and then they're showing you things and then it's funny as soon as the rover is like has um is running out of battery it they took it take it back it docks into its own dock and then they transfer the person into another <laughs> charged uh telepresence robot and gets out of there but that's a very um i mean that's not a real life that's not a person looking robot yes it's just you know it's it's a it's a tv screen on wheels mm-hmm. it's a monitor on wheels but um i've seen this one video come out of this uh, university in japan where it was a grandma lying in bed mm-hmm. uh she's she's bedridden and she uh, her grandson was going it was having his wedding and so what this research uh group was doing was they gave her actually they were, they were using a fove headset which i don't know how they had yeah it's a good um, question it's hard to get right he, right they gave her the fove headset and she was sitting in in this bed with a headset on and while they had a re- kind of a realistic looking robot i mean it wasn't looking like a human but it was a robot with legs and arms there and basically the the groom the, her her grandson and the bride basically came up to her and like gave the robot a hug which she felt like she was getting a real hug from from those people and she was actually being able to be present in a real life environment so so think about even um 
uh, business applications where you know instead of doing that a thousand dollar business trip across the exactly. world, you, Th- that's what they're used you, for. You know, and another thing, yeah. is actually, when the uh, you know the guy who has a company and owns it wants to check on his employee. So for business meetings, I think mm-hmm. sometimes you know we all know how you know internet quality and call quality works. It's not usually optimized. Mm-hmm. I will also link later a very funny video from College Humor how actually when you know calls. <laughs> Call conferences would be in real life how it would work. It's a disaster. Mm-hmm. But when you want to check on your employee and see how you know how they perform, or you, you want to quickly see what they're doing, and you have a globalized economy, you know, your quarter in China, your quarter, you know, some company in India, and you want to be everywhere, you connect and switch. And that's definitely something that a lot of people are using right now. I've seen a lot of cases for that actually on YouTube. Mm. It's cool. We're we're really co- going into an interesting real virtual time mm-hmm. in 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 this era where we can actually be somewhere and be present and truly present, not just looking at a webcam, but like be present somewhere and have the benefits of that presence itself. Well, yes, one of our next. Oh yeah, go on. No, what, what I also like to add is uh, what also changes basically is that. You couldn't really uh, imagine a virtual reality application without a good experience design, without a story of the world that you are in, right? So it could also, yeah. like this gamification aspect that we already touched upon tonight, uh, is, is something that is uh, that is inherent to all kind of virtual reality applications. So if you have uh, virtual reality for uh, industrial applications, for manufacturing processes, for training in virtual reality, for training with patients, it would always have some kind of gamified aspect to it. And it would always have uh, a, a whole lot more of a story, a whole lot more mm-hmm. of an experience than, than simply using uh, the regular desktop application that you that you get nowadays. So it could also be a very, very uh, nice change of, of working processes, therapy processes itself. It, it could make uh, life much more fun, I think. Yes, yeah. even with our podcast. I mean, uh, something maybe for our audience, we in a certain way want to do it once in alt space, so you want you know, to actually interact with each other. And the reason is maybe you notice that we are always using Skype to record each other, so we don't see each other. And I think when you, you know, see someone having a conversation on television, you know, all the people sit there, you kind of get the idea when someone wants to say something and someone starts, but then it just has yes. sound it's somehow very awkward in a certain way. You just don't have this touch to this person. You have a really dense conversation. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of um, cues, uh, kind of gestural cues that you have whenever the person is actually ending their whatever they're saying. You know, it's they're becoming, mm-hmm. they're going to the end of the sentence. There's a cue where you actually look at the person and your voice kind of gets lower. Or if someone's trying to cue themselves into the conversation, yes. they do certain gestures and things. So there's a lot of things like that that are missing. And I mean, I'm seeing uh, the byproducts of that on this podcast. Whenever sometimes we speak over each other exactly. and then we stop. And then we try to get the other person to speak. So we do have plans of like kind of transitioning this into an alt space VR uh, application where even listeners could actually join in and and will not participate, but maybe be a, be an audience to the conversation itself. And not only that, but we can also put use the uh, the shared screen space behind us. You know, they, you can beam videos up, you can beam up uh, web pages and whatnot. So it's like, it could be an actual conference, or or you know how people people do live podcasts and people the audio sits there and watches the people talk. We could do that in alt space. So a lot can be gained from that um and not just for us but for a, a potential you know business research um even social just applications so we <laughs> i just i'm always overwhelmed at like how cool this tech is it it still hasn't gone old for me and i don't think it will for a very long time the more we start to think of, of different applications and use cases. I think, um, Thomas, you were mentioning something about the user experience of this. And I think user experience, I mean, it's become a very big um, trend for people to start thinking in that sense now. And I'm glad they have. And it's I think it's mostly due to part of Apple and, and what they brought to the table. But I think suddenly user experience design has has the biggest implications for VR because before when you're actually just using a computer, whatever, that's not you, that's not part of you. That's it's, it's, a, it's still a very software and computer based thing and people can still f- 
feel the distance between them and that but but vr is as human as technology can get so to you really need to nail the user experience uh for someone to actually enjoy it to understand it and to want to come back to it and to actually you know get the benefits from it um so audience take note yeah. <laughs> start thinking of user experience start learning about um human principles and and you know listen to our podcast because exactly. that's that we we love to talk about that and and apply these things uh, towards that there was a, a book also coming out in the past years i'm not quite sure when uh, the author is Jane McGonagall, and the book is called Reality is Broken. Uh, and that book was, mm. was really targeted to what you just said. It was not, was not really targeted to virtual reality, but more to the whole idea of gamification. Uh, and, and it was, yeah, our, our modern working processes are very much... Um, uh, well, for the for the common worker, it's not obvious what actually the the real use case is of of, of the work that he's doing, right? So uh, so it's always pretty remote. And, and using gamification aspects, it it could it could just make uh, all processes, all working processes, all everyday life, just much more fun, right? And that is that is yeah. something that that is known to to produce a, a better motivation. That is known to produce a, a higher efficiency in. In, in all in all kind of things that you have to perform, so it's something that, that we could really thrive for, and that it's it, it's something that you that every, every, everyone would benefit from, right? It, it, it's making things uh, easier and more fun, and it's even more effective. So perfect. Mm. I'm going to play the devil's devil's advocate on the gamification side of things because. I had a professor. Um, he was a HCI um, researcher, and he human computer interaction. Yeah, exactly. And his main thing is he looks at computer mediated communications, and and he, he kind of was talking against the gamification of things. In, in in I was taking this class, and he covered just gamification extensively and he was talking about like why do i need achievements for everything like why do i need an achievement for clearing my inbox mm. why do i need an achievement for walking mm. and i mean i was like okay i think i mean i see where he's coming from and maybe not everything needs to have like a score pop up to it but maybe if we don't i mean maybe you're they're taking the gamification too far into actual points and leaderboards and and you know share it with your friends and then compare yourself oh yes maybe you know maybe using the uh principles of gamification to a certain extent where it's still um you're using it to, uh, with the same reward that you kind of get for an achievement i say achievement like a, an xbox achievement you know like bloop and it pops up and it's like telling you you just did this mm -hmm. but maybe not to the you develop it not to the point of having points but to still have the principles in there that make something um uh hooked or, or very um addictive to come back to mm -hmm. no exactly um, i i agree to that it's it's not only about having uh having uh, badges popping up and uh, achievements popping up but like one one major aspect of of games is also that you have a direct feedback, and that's that not, that must not be a score, yeah. but that can also be um, a description or some kind of yeah. Let's say it, call it a story that you that mm. you just hook up to, right? That that your works that your work uh, that you are doing makes more sense to you because you you see the impact that it does and you see uh, you see the world that it is uh, that it is kind of building up growing right so that these these kind of things uh, obviously it, it's it's not done by just adding achievements to everything it's, it's something not, that, yeah. that must be investigated more deeply um, but still I, I i would i would still go Put forward that idea to 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 go to go more in this direction and to put more um, hmm. direct feedback and 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 also some kind of story to to all our uh, software to all our software actually. Mm. The story is interesting because say your your actions are actually uh, affecting the, the the way the story goes. Um, maybe not directly, but but indirectly somehow. Instead of giving you points, it's like you're actually uh, changing the the direction of the story. And, and then in the end, instead of like having to share whatever points that you received with your friends, you actually share the conclusion of the story to your friends. You know, you're like, wow, like mm -hmm. <laughs> based on these things, um, I ended up here, and you know. 
So I don't know. I this is that this is good fuel for for thought for everyone. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking for about an hour now. Exactly. Uh, I don't know what you. If we have more time to to continue this, but this has been a very interesting and fruitful discussion coming from uh, the industrial and medical application of virtual reality and and hand tracking and body tracking, um, and you know we hope to see more of this happening soon. I'm, I'm sure we'll report on it. Uh, Thomas, please stay in contact with us, and we'd love to see what comes more from. Um, you said Salt and Peppers is your company. Yeah, Salt and Peppers soft. Software Solutions, that's the company. We are based in Osnabrück, that's a, a town in northern Germany. Uh, everyone that's near, just, just drop by. We have cool toys there. there. Cool. How, can, uh, how can people reach you, Thomas? Uh, well, we have uh, our website that I might uh, put forward. That's uh, salt-and-pepper.eu. Um, mm-hmm. There you find... Uh, contact information uh, you could always contact myself which is uh, uh, maybe we just put it in the in the notes the show notes, address exactly. so, so just shoot me a mail um, uh, probably those are the best ways to reach me Thomas has also a Twitter that uh, needs oh yeah right new followers just recently yes I, I only recently started it so uh, yeah you can follow it it's uh, well actually I don't know my account you can search for Thomas Schuder sure. <laughs> We'll, we'll link we'll all link of these uh, in, yeah, in the show notes. We'll have uh, our Twitters in there and Thomas's as well. And um, Maybe uh, one last thing for our audience. So if you have uh, any yeah. fruitful comments, whether you, know, you don't like something or you enjoyed something, feel free to comment, write to us, because we are doing it basically for you. And we are really concerned that you are getting the most out of this podcast. I mean, it's also very interesting to talk to our guests and to each other. However, we really, you know, want to spread uh, serious applications of VR. It's called research VR. So we think that beyond just entertainment, there is more. And if you have any suggestions, just drop a line or, you know, get in touch. Yeah, uh, suggestions. We have a Twitter page that um, that we're active on. It's called Research VR Podcast. Uh, you could you just need to search it in the Twitter. Um, you, we can do it through there. We have uh, an email address if, called researchvr at gmail.com or researchvrcast. Yes. Re- yes, re- research VR exactly. cast, and that's that's the same as our Twitter. The handle itself is research VR cast, but you could just search the name research VR podcast. Um, we, I mean, any kind of feedback is fine. We're uh, the hardware we're still kind of working on, and I'm sure you can notice the differences in ch- sounds and little environmental things that are coming in. Well, currently we're still you know uh, very early stages in this podcast, and we don't we still haven't optimized everything. So. So bear with us. So th- thank you for being an early adopter into this <laughs> podcast before it blows up big. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, let, let us know if you have actually topic um, topics and things that use cases that we haven't covered yet, or you'd like to be you'd like for it to be covered even more. Or any people you Absolutely. want to invite, or you know you know that would join us and would be you know a very interesting conversation partner. Absolutely. We're all very uh, easily reachable and active on the internet, so we could talk and discuss. We're still not famous, so you know you can actually reach us. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or maybe we are already famous, who knows? If you're listening, we are, right? Yes. So thank you, Thomas Schuller, for joining us on our third episode of Research VR today. And um, so from all of us, we thank you. Dig deeper. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're, we're looking forward to seeing more coming out of uh, Salt and Peppers. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And uh, join us either in a week or two for our fourth episode. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.